Alright, hey everybody, the con artist here. We're here to talk about our rolling review choice for fall 2021, which was uh, Shiro no Aquatope. Shiroisuna? Shiroisuna no Aquatope. Thank you, Brendan. Uh, so, uh, all of us are here to discuss the show. So, myself, Sue, Scott, Hello. Dan, Hey. and Brendan. Hello. Hooray. Uh, so, Dan, tell us about the plot of this show. Okay, so uh, the Aquatope on White Sand, uh, as the show is also known, it's um, it starts with this uh, young woman, uh, Fuka, uh, essentially quitting her job as a idol candidate to go and visit Okinawa, basically on a whim, because she doesn't want to go home and face the you know face the judgment of her parents for failing at this thing that she set out to Tokyo to do. And while there, she runs into this aquarium and kind of becomes enchanted by it, both literally and figuratively. There's a little bit of light magic going on in the background uh, that sort of gives her these visions of, like, underwater life and various other things. But uh, she also meets Kukuru, who's the granddaughter of the dude who runs this uh, aquarium called Gama Gama. And it's all about, like, her, uh, Fuka, and Kuguru working at this aquarium and, like, struggling to overcome, like, you know, the thing is, the place is old, there's financial limitations, they're not getting as many visitors, and it looks like the place is going to be shut down. Um, and since we've already gone through this, you know, spoiler alert, it does get shut down. They are not able to save the rec center, there was no, uh, no, there's no, uh, break into electric boogaloo nonsense here. And so they both end up working at another aquarium, um, the much larger, newer one uh, that's, you know, more, you know, much more advanced, but also more corporate. Uh, Kukuru gets shifted into marketing instead of taking care of the animals, which he hates, whereas Fuka is still taking care of the animals and is in, you know, a little bit overhead at first. But uh, it's all about their various trials and tribulations and kind of figuring out what their passion is for these, uh, you know, for taking care of these animals, for bringing, uh, you know, the importance of aquatic life to the public, and also balancing that off the needs of their actual jobs, um, while their relationship with each other and their kind of dependency on each other sort of grows and evolves throughout the show. Mm, Perfect. Solid summary. Nice. Yeah, I think uh, nice. probably best if we start off with some of the, you know, overall, I think we're all fairly positive on this show. It looks great. Mm. There's a lot of uh, good story beats, and there's plenty to chew on later on. So we're going to start with the, you know, the few cons that we have. So if you guys want to take it away with that. Yeah, sure. Um, Scott, did you want to start? I think mine's a little long. Yeah, sure. I've only got a couple things. I think one which I, I remember writing about early on in the show, as Dan said, the, the initial pitch is we're going to save this aquarium, this sort of falling apart aquarium. And like Cougar's like, she's got these charts and she's like, all right, like on the back wall, you can see charts and there's dates and like, we got a thing we're supposed to do. And like, you know, from the first episode, there's a big bill that's due. But then like, I don't know that the stakes are never really adequately explained. Like the whole time it's like, ah, we're fighting against the closure of the aquarium, but they never really get to like why the aquarium's closing and like as close as it can get, it seems like it's because her grandfather, who's actually in charge of the aquarium is closing the aquarium. So every time when she goes home and she's like, oh, tough day trying to keep the aquarium open. I think we got a lot more visitors though. It's going well. And her grandfather would be like, mm, yes, that's nice. And it's like, he's the guy closing it. When are you two going to have this conversation? And the answer was <laughs> never. 
they never like talked out is there any way to save the aquarium or not was she just sort of i don't know having this dream that was unachievable the whole time in the hopes of some kind of miracle but then again it's her grandfather who she lives with and talks with every single day so i felt like it was very weird as a setup that they didn't really like explore that well enough that it was clear what the stakes were or if this was even possible yeah uh, so I felt that was, I mean, I thought that was kind of silly. Uh, and the other thing was, uh, I think Dan mentioned that sort of light magic, like mild supernatural elements. At times I thought they were kind of cool. Like it'd be like, oh, you know, you're overcome by emotion and you, you meet someone you haven't seen or who's dead or something and get to like hang out with them for a little while, which was nice. It led to some emotional moments. But as, particularly as the show went on, like, they just sort of became less and less prevalent, but they were like, there's like this little God kid that like runs around in the background of some of the scenes. And I don't know. It, it never felt like it was explored enough, which is weird. Cause there was a whole episode where the characters are like clearly aware of the supernatural elements and specifically trying to get them to happen or pitch them as a feature of the, this old aquarium. And it's like, so everyone's like, Everyone's on board. There are supernatural happenings to the point where Cuckoo like makes a web page post about it, but we're never also going to talk about that. And then it just sort of fades into the background. So it like, is it unnecessary? I don't know. Like I felt like it had some nice moments, but it also, I don't know. It eventually felt more and more unnecessary as the show went on. I don't know what you guys felt about it. Yeah. It kind of felt superfluous after a certain point. And I feel like maybe if they had commented on that more or if it had, either bit or if it had been like less acknowledged early on and it was just sort of a we're using this as a plot device to you know sort of display the character's inner feelings like if they had just kind of taken it as that sort of heightened reality um sort of quasi uh diegetic science kind of thing it would have maybe worked better than trying to introduce it as a thing that people can discuss and actively like try to trigger yeah it was the weirdest part they're like, oh, all right, how do we get this to work? Like, let's do some scientific experiments to try to categorize the unknown. And it's like, well, all right. Is that what Which on its own was actually kind of fun, but it was also like, it, it, it sort of sticks out like a sore thumb compared to the rest of the show where that's generally either not acknowledged or it's kind of like a, it's sort of, it's sort of like a musical number that nobody goes back to, nobody goes back to talk about later on. Yeah, exactly. Like most of the time you don't be like, hey, remember that cool musical number? Like where did all those extra dancers come from? Like it's like if someone, if that actually happened and someone had that discussion. Yeah, it did feel strange because I mean, we're saying didn't come up enough or or the, the verbiage you guys use. I mean, it didn't come up at all. Once we got to Tingara, which was the big aquarium Dan's talking about, like it became completely and utterly irrelevant except for like a snap second shot to the God mm. kid running around, like the illusions <laughs> never happen. It's all, it all didn't really make sense. And I actually thought that was kind of sad because I think part of the beauty of, of Gama Gama was that it was tied to Kukuru as a person, right? There's that really mm. like heartbreaking scene when the hurricane is happening and Kukuru mm. barricades herself in the aquarium and the aquarium starts to buckle under the, the hurricane. And she's trying desperately to like, you know, save the oxygen in the tanks and the like ducks from breaking down. And Fuka is like, Kukuru, you can't, you can't do all of this yourself. Like we have to be safe. 
we have to save as many animals as possible and then we have to board ourselves into this room and Cooker looks at her and is like, you don't understand, this is all I have. Mm-hmm. Like, if this place goes, I go with it, right? Like, all of me goes with it. And I think it would have been nice to have those illusions show up at Tingara, sort of as a showcasing, like, they came with you, right? Like, all of those emotions and feelings and, and miracles, as they were called, right? They came from the people who believed in, in Gamagama and had an attachment to it. And you can forge those again, because the first thing you pack when you go anywhere is yourself, right? So I think it would have been nice to carry that over, because one of the big themes is, you know, finding yourself in, in the aquarium and the act of... Uh, finding a new dream right so the fact that those were left out in the second half was definitely disappointing yeah there was like a really brief callback to it in the final episode i think yeah i feel like there was something tiny like you know the the god continues to eat the 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 offerings they put out or i think like the married people might have had a moment but yeah it was was i thought her doppelganger showed back up oh okay yes there is oh, a right, little yeah, bit, yeah. there is a little bit of that in the final episode, but uh, again, it's kind of there. It, it doesn't feel like it's as tied into the actual events that are happening so much as it is again a representation of what people are feeling. It kind of occupies that weird middle space again. But uh, yeah, that was it. It's the one kind of weird out there thing about the whole show. So we're spending a little more time on it because it does stick out very oddly compared to the otherwise very, you know, procedural or emotion driven uh, elements of the storytelling. Hmm. Anyway, that's all I had for uh, for, for negatives. So uh, what do you got, Sue? Uh, so my negative was Fuka in the second half, uh, up until the last few episodes where she starts making choices for herself. You know, the the lion's share of growth and, and change and having to accept difficult things in life really gets put on Kukuru. Mm. Fuka has it in the first half really nicely. And I think the two struggle together and the, the you know, the broken dream they have is, is mended by being with each other. In the second half, Fuka is like a full-fledged attendant you know, the only time she struggles is literally to impress Haibaru in, epi- you know, that one episode. And she memorizes all the penguins' names, and from there she's, like, expert attendant forever. And Kukuro always goes to her with her problems. She's the one who kind of mends the relationship with Haibaru when they first figure out that she's a single mom. Like, she just becomes this too-perfect character that isn't struggling. And... Her being an attendant after only being in an aquarium for three months. Now, I know nothing about what it takes to work in an aquarium, but I would imagine in real life you have to have a background in zoology. And it kind of undercut some of the struggles of other characters, like Haibaru in particular. Yeah, she, she had like a lot of lines about how hard it is to get into aquariums and how few jobs right. there are. And- yeah. Exactly. She has that whole shtick when she comes there as sort of an intern. She has that backstory shot where she's like studying at night while trying to take care of her son. She's been doing this since she got out of high school. And that's how she got the job as an attendant. And it's like, I mean, clearly all you needed was protagonist magic and you too could <laughs> be an attendant. So it kind of put her struggle 
into a, a weird light. And uh, just just in general, like it, it never felt like Fuka had earned a lot of some of the emotional moments she gets towards the end, particularly when I complained about her getting to see the turtles. Like, I really thought that was supposed to be a cuckoo-only moment. That's really, I agree, it's a cuckoo moment. Like, what are you, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? Oh, Go away! Yeah, so it, it just felt a bit frustrating for me that she doesn't actually struggle with anything. So I think that's my, my only other complaint. Uh, In but, the second half, specifically, yeah. Yeah, not everyone can be uh, Udon-chan. Udon-chan. Oh my gosh, uh, Udon, yes. Best. Who I would totally watch a spinoff show about. But like, she has essentially no problems and everything is great. <laughs> I agree, I agree. But I think she functioned really nicely against the struggles of the other characters. So oh, totally. I really, yeah, I really liked her, but... I liked her. And I, and I will say the last two episodes kind of changed my tune a little bit. Like their reunion in the last one I thought was really heartwarming and stuff. Oh, so it, yeah. it, it really don't have anything against Fuka per se, but I think the way she's written in the second half is not great. She doesn't struggle enough and that made yeah, her like character it, very flat. Yeah, like I guess from a broad perspective, right? Like in the first half, Kukuru kind of gives Fuka a place to exist. In the second half, like Fuka sort of returns the favor. But you're right, there's both were struggling in the first half, and now it's only Kukuru in the second half. Yeah, it feels out of balance a bit, and it also means that like Kukuru's struggles start to feel redundant after a while because it always seems to keep coming back to the exact same thing. She doesn't feel like she's suited for marketing, and this dude is putting these unreasonable expectations or like demands on her. And at the end, like, she either just barely kind of pulls it out by the skin of her teeth or it turns out to be a complete disappointment. And without, uh, you know, without Fuka's own struggles or someone else's own struggles to sort of balance that out, it really just kind of becomes the Kukuru show. And Kukuru is, you know, she's charismatic, but I don't think she's enough to carry it on all her own. Mm. Yeah, just it, the imbalance was very noticeable, so... Do we have any other um, any other things to point out? Any other negatives before we? Uh... They didn't tilt the moon. <laughs> Gosh darn it! How? Which, how did they always which I screw this. Which up? I would. <laughs> which I can excuse in the one where, the one episode that I actually like wrote up where it was the half moon on that like was framed between the characters in order to you know portray sort of the a metaphor for what's going on. Mm. And you know, because you cut that shot right down the middle. But then there was a later episode where uh, that was the one where Kufru hits like rock bottom, and they do the 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 crescent moon. But that one is also straight, and there's nothing else in that shot. And I thought like it would have been even better to just have it kind of like what's the word I'm looking for symbolically. Like, well, I mean it, yeah, symbolically, but like to have it hanging at the low angle that you would actually see it at, <laughs> instead of just like being straight up and down which like a you wouldn't see it like that and b seems really formal hmm. instead of this so like the super i don't know i feel very strongly about this because i'm an enormous nerd <laughs> so there are some lunar dynamics that could have been improved here so one thing i'll i'll give wandering witch is that they screwed that up in episode two and they fixed it in episode six hey <laughs> Good on that. Um, I have one other thing I wanted to, I guess this is a question for all of you, because this is something that kind of came up a little bit in other outside discussions about the show and other shows like this. We've seen other shows of this style before where like two young women or older girls come together 
and overcome all of these struggles together and like support each other. And the relationship between them is usually left very ambiguous. And some people would call that kind of queer baiting. Basically, like your setting is up if these two girls are heading to some kind of a romantic or, you know, physical or whatever relationship, or are you setting them up as just being really good friends? And where do you feel this show kind of falls on that? Do you feel like they were trying, like they tried to tease too much of uh, an actual relationship with them? Or do you think that they stuck with the, these are just very good friends and people who support each other in this case? I hmm. felt like they were teasing in the very first episode that I did, which I think was four. But as the show went on, I got less and less of that impression. I'm with yeah, Brendan. I, I, I also, mm. oh, sorry, Scott. I, oh, I, go ahead. I just felt like it was a really nice found family type of feeling. I think I could see how people could read it a different way because they are super close to each other. But I think it does a better job of, of skirting that than most shows I'm used to, which are obnoxiously overt. Yeah, I would say like there's, yeah, there's very little baiting. There's very little pollen, I guess. <laughs> uh, yeah, like found family is a really good way of putting it like could you possibly read something romantic into it? You could, but there's not a lot to go on. I mean, at that point in this economy, why not live <laughs> in the same apartment? That's true, right? If they are living in different apartments, like just share an apartment. Right. Yeah, no, I agree. I feel like there was more of it in the earlier stages, and there are definitely moments where it feels like, are they going there with this? I wasn't sure, but uh, as it progresses, it definitely feels more like, I don't know if I call it sisterly, but certainly, you know, very strong found family friendship vibes and i think that that was in this particular case the right uh the right way of doing things because if they had tried to kind of do that thing where other shows toe that middle line it would be like oh well they won't they it just kind of gets obnoxious after a while so kudos to them for you know at least picking a side and sticking with it hmm. so i guess like that's really all of the I don't even want to call them complaints, but the little nitpicks we have about the show, because otherwise, you know, I think we're all in agreement that it was, you know, very slickly produced. Like the show, just to start things out, looks great. Mm. The animation is excellent. The backgrounds, especially all of the natural environments look wonderful. Uh, there's a great sense of space. Like I always know, like I have a very good idea of the sort of geography of where everything takes place on this island. Um, and... So from just a production quality standpoint, uh, everything is great. Character designs are solid. The animation is pretty good overall. Um, the music is pretty uh, pretty good for the most part. I don't really have any strong feelings about it one way or another, but it was always at least uh, good enough. And I really, the only kind of minor nitpick I would say is that I wish they had done a little bit more variation when it comes to body types, especially for the female cast, because the male cast, you have all these different kinds of dudes, uh, you know, middle-aged, older, bigger, smaller, thin, thick, whatever. But all of the girls are pretty much the exact same, which is disappointing because we saw um, uh, Udon Chan's mother, right? Uh, oh, yeah, she's great. Who is this great, oh my like, God. fortune-telling MVP. Like MVP. Fortune lady. Love her. And she... Yeah, she's she's a bit on the she's a bit on the heavier and the curvier side, and she's just she immediately stands out uh, because of that because her design is just so different from all of the other you know stick figure women that we're used <laughs> to seeing in these things. And I'm kind of sad that we didn't get to see more of her because, like, again, both in terms of design and in terms of presence, she was just a delight. Yeah, she was great. I agree. More of her needed. Like again, in the in the spinoff Udon Chan show, I think she'll get <laughs> more. Yeah, absolutely. 
I like Marina's resting cat face. <laughs> That's right. Marina's Marina's great. Marina is is also really great. Yeah. I like her a lot. I never we never figured out where she was from. I, my guess is Brazil. I read into I think it's Venezuela. Huh. Really? Yeah. I was gonna say I was thinking it was supposed to be the Philippines, but uh yeah, no, that would make sense as well. That's cool. Yeah, she was fun. Every show needs the character who's like you know, if you're having a show that's like a lot of drama about characters and difficulty, it's always nice to have the character who's just taking it easy. Mm-hmm. Uncomplicated. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you need folks, that. You need that balance. You need the balance. Also, folks, I gotta tell you, do you like cute animals? There's some cute penguins in this show. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah, I agree. With this little bow tie. There's some very cute penguins in this show that are wallowing around, so it's always nice to see. I agree. And just to steal something from you know, I would imagine all of our listeners also listen to our core cast. Uh, Scott talked about a show called Let's Make a Mug 2. 2. I'm just going to call it that because that's the better name. Good. And it, uh, you know, did a good job of, of actually doing research on pottery. I mean, not that the show is edutainment by any means, but I think they did really beautiful research. Like, you know, they knew a lot about the penguins. They knew a lot about any of the creatures that they mention. You know, a lot of sea life and marine issues, you know, marine... Uh, biology issues come up in this show. I mean, you can tell someone really did homework and I complimented it on the episode I got where they first go to Tingara and uh, Cooker gets to take a tour. You know, she gets a break from work to go walk around. Like, just talking about geography, like, the, like, Tingara is really designed in a stunning way. Like, somebody walked around an aquarium and took some ideas and really did some sight drawing uh, it feels like a real place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. It's you can definitely see like, oh, walk in the front doors. Like, where, you know, where do you, where do you want to go? And like, you because they keep showing shots of it. It's a cool place. I would be curious if it's based off a specific aquarium or if it, like you suggested, Sue borrows elements from you know various other aquariums throughout Japan or elsewhere in the world. Because they talk about other aquariums, but we re- we rarely get to see any other images of them. So I'd just be I'd be fascinated to know if there is any place sort of like this at least in general layout yeah also like anytime like a character's like like you know uh cooker needs to do a lot of presentations and such and she's always like laying out all these animals and fishes and like their proper names i mean there's a ton of background detail on fish and stuff just in like papers that are left on desks and stuff uh in addition to when characters actually call out an animal or a fish by name so they clearly know their stuff although that actually does remind me or yeah sort of bring to mind a small nitpick man every one of these girls knows how to draw real good like (laughs) i feel like a schlub over here every time like wow look at them just drawing all these fish that look you know cartoonish or realistic or anything they want they're all good artists Mm -hmm. like what the heck man (laughs) skills with a z that's what they're uh that's what that's what they got their bachelors in instead of uh, zoology. Yeah, that's the dark secret. <laughs> Visual uh, arts. Scott, I thought you were going to mention the fact that something my husband pointed out that they always have a, when they do a shot of the aquarium, there's a whale shark swimming around. And my husband was like, "Really?" And I was like, "It looks good in the scene, okay? Like, I know you can't have a whale shark. It just looks good." <laughs> um. So, you know, that I thought that you were going to bring that element up but yeah and i guess just to end i mean you know papers things people say and that ending sequence in like the last episode where they're transferring the fish mm-hmm. oh yeah out into the tanks yeah. like clearly you knew what was 
going on. You know, technically somebody did some homework. So really nice research on this topic. Definitely. Like they're definitely focused on, you know, there's a lot of moments where people like the animals are the most important thing. We got to care for them and like some details and what that means. So they definitely do care. I'd also say like uh, when it comes to the actual storytelling is that they do, um, they do a really good job of highlighting, you know, characters' emotional states. Uh, they're, you know, the characters are extremely expressive and, on top of that, uh, just the way that scene, the way that scenes are shot, where uh, char- where characters are, and how they are framed, and everything else, goes a really long way into sort of showing how they're dealing with all these situations. Because like this this uh, year or however long it is that all of these events take place in is an emotional roller coaster for both Fuka and for uh, Kukuru, and they both respond to their different. Uh, I I don't want to call them triggers, but, like, they respond to different uh, stresses in very different ways. Fuka has a tendency to sort of run away from her problems or kind of hide from them. Or, you know, just sort of, like, quietly kind of agreeing to thing, uh, agreeing to things before uh, until things become too much for her. Uh, and, you know, that's sort of what kicked off this entire, this entire story, was her running away from confronting her failure, I use the term very loosely, to become an idol. And I also like the fact that that actually kind of comes back later on as a little bit of a uh, bookend to that particular chapter in her life when one of the members of the troupe that she was part of uh, shows up at uh, basically to do a a TV special on the aquarium and she gets to join in on that, which was a lot of fun. But um, uh, Kuguru, on the other hand, like her anger management missile is finding one of her friends and like bare knuckle like boxing practice on him (laughs) (laughs) and uh either that or like not exactly i don't know some there's some running away but it's also more like just like you know kind of borderline flying off the handle she uh she has a very short fuse when it comes to certain things and only over time does she sort of learn to channel that you know that passion and that uh extra energy into more productive things Mm, yeah like I would say, yeah, the characters over the course of the show have really taken, it's a long road to where they, they are by the end of the show. Uh, like, you really do feel like you've watched them kind of grow into a working adult uh, over the course of it. And I don't know, the, like, the the pacing feels feels right for that, I guess, in, in what the show is trying to do. You don't feel like anyone, I don't know, leapt straight from, like, their their summer job directly into their final career. Like they all, they had a trouble. They had trouble getting there. Mm-hmm. I agree. Speaking of uh, like summer job to working adult, I think Kukuru's plight really does a great job of highlighting things that you know in my own life I have dealt with in corporate America. Right? It mm-hmm. it felt like a real working environment. It felt like this this struggle to say, hey, this is what you know I imagined that my work life would be like and here's what it actually is and I don't understand how A ties to B and how am I supposed to really concentrate on A you know because because life is very messy and a lot of what you do doesn't tie into this idealized version of what you think it's going to and many times you have to be able to take a step back and and see how it plays into a bigger picture or you know, I think, Scott, you mentioned this in one of the episodes, except that this is what you have to do to put food on the table and mm-hmm. go about your, your life, right? Like, 
it's, it's a difficult journey. And so I think it does a really nice job of, of having cookers struggle with those items. And it felt like I connected with that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, we've all at some point in our lives and careers, I'm sure been either put on tasks that we didn't feel suited us or were outside of what we were, you know, trained or taught how to do, or we were dealing with a boss that's making like unreasonable demands or has a working philosophy that may not necessarily be wrong, but is like just plain incompatible with ours. And Kruger just gets double the double whammy of that. <laughs> like right. her, her boss is like, he softens up towards the end and he kind of, he does have a, he does have a reason to be the way he is, is that his view is that in order to best take care of these animals, we need customers. We need people here spending time and money in our aquarium to keep it running so that we can continue with our mission to care for the animals under our own roof and also to, you know, provide knowledge and experience to people to care about the wider natural world. But he never comes out and explains that. He's just very much like, he's like, this is marketing. Your job is to, your job is to get butts in seats and that kind of stuff. And like your care for the animal, your care for the animals is getting in the way of you doing that work. And it's just like, my dude, like, I get that your leadership style is very brusque, but like, take her aside, take her to a business lunch for like 30 minutes and explain this is why we're doing this. And this is why I'm so hard on you. And that would have solved so many problems for so many people. <laughs> Yeah, but I completely I suppose you agree. would have the same journey at that point. I completely agree. And the director having to like tell her inadvertently in a random scene about it, like not not the best way to to get that information out. Yeah. yeah. Very unprofessional. Poor there's, leadership role. There's around. the guy leading his best life over there is the aquarium director. Like, oh I don't my know gosh, what yeah. What it took to get to this point, but he's just like Hawaiian shirts every day and any personnel decisions I want are okayed, like yeah, he just yeah, he's he's running the show and it's it's pretty hilarious. I I completely agree. Honestly, I was I was expecting there to be more like either pushback against his ideas or for his ideas to be like either like really corny or screwball or whatever, but no, all in all, he seems like he's running this place really well. So, I guess he has earned his like Hawaiian shirt like every day is casual Friday of attitude. Why why two people? for the the aquato project that's such a weirdly small number that is that a does weird seem thing there i mean it was it was obviously to heighten drama but like yeah in the real world why would you only pick two probably they only have so many staff that are qualified that they can afford to let go I yeah that yeah. night i figured it was really expensive to send them for because they went for a couple of years right it was like two years two-year project yeah which yeah. also, again, sort of highlights just how, you know, how in-depth and how important all of this work is. Like, this isn't a job that you can either just walk onto or off of, you know. And we saw, um, oh, why am I forgetting her name? The the single mother that we mentioned earlier. Yeah, Chi yeah. Yeah. yeah, and her, like, struggles to be taken seriously and to deal with all of this, even outside of, you know, the struggle of being, you know, a single mom trying to get into an extremely competitive field at a very young age. So, like, this is not, none of these things are done lightly. They show just how how intense this job really is. Both, you know, behind the scenes, you know, it's emotionally and physically very taxing. 
but uh, at the same time, you know, obviously brings all these people a lot of joy. It never, it never gets to the point where you're completely disillusioned with the, with the place or with the industry. That's true. It does have a positive outlook on the existence of aquariums and their reason for, for being there. Yeah, I agree. And Haibaru in particular, I think they did a really nice job with that, mostly just because they pulled a fast one on me. I was like, I cannot stand this girl. She's got mean girl energy. And then the <laughs> minute her episode hit, because like that little, uh, that godlike creature, I'm pretty sure was like real and intervening without the order we got our episodes because <laughs> I had to switch places with Brendan that week and I got that one and I was just like wow this is fate intervening and eating the little like fish head that I put out and being like you're gonna get this episode now so you learned <laughs> something um but yeah it was I think she in particular was a really different take you know because because Kukuru and Fuka are dealing with things that, you know, I would say you kind of deal with in your adolescence, but to end up having that single mom episode, I think was really nice and highlighted the struggle from a different angle. Mm -hmm. uh, did a, did a good job of, of talking about those issues and put the character in a whole other light. So mm, yeah, I liked, mm. I liked that episode a lot. Um, but just in general, I love the per permeating theme of like kindness and pleasantness that this show brings to the table like i Definitely. kind of i talked about it yeah in, in episode i think one right with where she gets quote unquote duped by udon chan's mom but then it's just this adorable cut smash cut to udon chan's mom being like taking off the garb and being like oh so then my husband cheated on me and then this happened and then all this other stuff and Fuka's like, wow, that sounds really rough. Would you like some chocolate-covered bananas? And she's like, yes, I would. <laughs> also, you're great. Go over here. Like, you know, any other show would have duped Fuka out of her money, had her walking around aimlessly. Like, it was just so cute and so pleasant. And everybody just wants to help everybody else, right? There's there's a kindness that, that moves through the show. There's a mm. sense of connectedness as a sense of taking care of each other and I, I think that's really missing from a lot of, of shows there's it's so pleasant and I was always mm -hmm. in a good mood while watching it just just mm, little things definitely. like my other favorite was Kukuru like running away from work and ending up at, at Kame House and uh, I forget his his name uh, his, his wife yeah Umiyan's wife uh, you know, just picking her up in a truck and being like, well, you cut work, girlfriend. You're going to get yelled at later. Might as well help <laughs> me clean up the beach and watch some turtles hatch. Come on. You know, like, cheer up. Let's let's at least run away properly, learn something, and go back better. Let's take a break. Let's, you know, and even just talking about those kinds of issues, right? Like, because Japan is so bad dealing with anything mental health related and i think mm -hmm. giving kukuru that space to get a little depressed and for another character to be like yeah be depressed take a break think think things through and you will find the reason that you had this passion in the first place like just giving all these characters the space and the time and the pleasant environment to be who they need to be to struggle with what they need to struggle with and to come out the other side supported really lovely like there's, mm. there's a really, really lovely energy from the show. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, there's almost no cynicism whatsoever. It's all very positive, but it never crosses over into being just, like, saccharine or, like, overly cutesy. It's like, you're gonna struggle, you're gonna have rough patches, and things are sometimes just going to completely blow up in your face. But if you find what, you know, if you find something that you can be passionate about and can put that energy to work, then you are going to be able to find ways to, you know, enjoy it. I do wish that they focused a little bit on you can find that joy outside of work. Not ever, you know, sometimes it's okay for something just to be a job, but when like this work is in their field of like their particular passion, then I understand that they're not necessarily going to get that, uh, get that message. But all in all, you're right. Like I, I always call it like a really kind of an ideal summer show, despite having come out in the summer and fall, um, because it just feels between the environments, the, you know, just the really nice artwork, everything leaves you with kind of this warm, contented feeling. Hmm. Yeah. I don't know. Unless anybody has anything else to talk about, I think that uh, that's really it for this show. It's pretty straightforward. There's a lot of great uh, character drama and uh, people, you know, sort of learning new things about themselves and about the world around them dealing with a subject, you know, with marine biology and the running of aquariums, something that, you know, you just never really see a lot of. And that's just not a not a theme that's very common across anime or really any other medium. So it's true, right? Every half of all dates in anime take place at an aquarium. But how often do you see one being run? Seriously, I guess the last item I'll have is uh, it does, you know, this is the same group that made, you know, Irizuku. Mm. or Iriduku full colors and uh the what i'll call the orange effect like people actually talk to each other <laughs> they talk to their problems uh no one no one had no one's like passing idiot ball i think you call it dan there's, there's yeah. there isn't a lot of idiot ball being passed around so i really appreciate that the the dialogue was structured so that these characters are intelligent people working out their problems and you know in this pleasant environment so mm-hmm. high recommendation, at least for me. Definitely. Definitely recommended. Awesome. All right. Well, hopefully we pick something good for the winter. Or and if not, at least maybe uh, maybe we pick something like entertainingly bad. Yes. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yes. Whatever it is, hopefully it's memorable. Yeah. All right. Great. Well, thanks for joining us. Catch you next time. Bye, Bye folks. Bye.